0: Now on WOC, the QC Current puts a focus on our beautiful bi state riverfront destination. Presented by Visit Quad Cities, it's a weekly look at untold stories of the Quad Cities region and the history, people, events, and businesses that make this area
1: unique. Here's the host of the QC Current, Hannah Ginder. Good morning, QC. I'm Hannah Ginder, and this is the QC Current, a radio show created by Visit Quad Cities with a focus on telling the untold stories of our bi-state riverfront destination. From little-known history to new innovations to quirky personalities, this show brings you deeper into the Quad Cities and leaves you ready to explore it yourself. This is the Quad Cities, where we're always reaching, always growing, always genuine, and always current. Today, I am so excited to be joined by the director of the Rock Island Arsenal Museum, Patrick Alley. If you're not familiar with the museum, it is the Army's second oldest museum located right here in the Quad Cities on the Mississippi River on Arsenal Island between Davenport, Iowa and Rock Island, Illinois. Glad to have you here today, Patrick.
0: Happy to be here, Hannah.
1: Yes. So to get things started, for someone who maybe hasn't visited the museum before, can you kind of give us an introduction to the mission and all that's there?
0: Yeah, definitely. So the the museum, as you said, is the Army's second oldest museum. It was established on July 5th, 1905. Our mission is to tell the story of Rock Island Arsenal from the earliest uh, military inhabitants, which go back to to 1816, all the way through what we do today um, and and the commands on the installation um, and their histories. And so we tell, you know, basically... History of 1816 all the way up to today and everything that has happened on the island in that time.
1: Gotcha. And when did you first become involved with the museum?
0: So I've been with the museum for about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been here a little while, uh, long enough to see a lot of change at the museum um, Mm -hmm. and certainly a lot of of great change coming um, down the pike for us.
1: Gotcha. And what is the road to becoming a director of a museum? Is this something that you've always pursued or something that's new to you?
0: Yeah, this is a great question. So it, it is a unique profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I'm in a room and someone's like, what do you do? And I say, I work in museums or I'm a museum curator or museum director. It's always, how do you do that? So um, education-wise, I have a bachelor's in history, but I have a, a master's degree in museum studies, uh, which they actually offer one of those locally at uh, Western Illinois, um, their Quad Cities campus. And oh. um, you can find them around. Um, I've always been interested in museums. Uh, It's always been a passion of mine. Um, You know, it's a really unique way to tell history through objects, through touchstones. You know, seeing Mm -hmm. the real thing, I think, carries a lot of weight with folks. Definitely. And so museums allow us to do that sort of work. And, um, you know, I've worked previously for the National Archives. I've worked uh, – I came here from St. Louis where I worked for the uh, Missouri Historical Society, um, working as their military and arms curator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- that's sort of been my path to getting to, to where I am now, having that military history background, you know, understanding um, material culture of the U.S. military. Uh, and Rock Island Arsenal certainly fits that, um, that expertise very well.
1: Definitely. All right. So we're going to dig into the museum a little bit. You mentioned 1816. Is that when the museum first opened or was it later?
0: No. So the museum opened in 1905. 1816 is mm-hmm. when the army first started um, first started building Fort Armstrong, which was the first military presence on the island. Uh, gotcha. The museum itself opened, you know, you know, a little hundred years later. So um, mm-hmm. as, as the Ordnance Museum at Rock Island, uh, it was kind of unique. The uh, the ordnance museum used to be at Rock Island, and then it moved to Aberdeen Proving Grounds in um, Aberdeen, Maryland, and then it moved to uh, Fort Lee, Virginia. And so, you know, hmm. while we don't still carry that name, and we tell a much more local story, which I think um, is is better. Uh that, that sort of legacy of telling the, the U.S. Army ordnance story is, is certainly an important one. And when I say ordnance, I'm basically referring to equipment, arms, armaments for, uh, for military soldiers.
1: Gotcha. All right. So I know you have a whole museum on history, so asking you to tell the history would be, would be a lot. But the museum is the second oldest U.S. Army museum in existence. Can you share a kind of I don't know, maybe the brief summary of that history?
0: Yeah. So uh, I think it's important to note the oldest army museum is the museum at West Point because when we say second, who's the first? So it's mm-hmm. West Point. And they were established in the 1840s and so they beat us by a little while. <laughs> um, the history of the museum is really, really unique insofar that its founding sort of came together through three unique um, events. Uh, the first one is the U.S. Army Chief of Ordnance, um, basically in think 19 – it would have been in 1904 um, – sent a letter to the commander of Rock Island Arsenal and said, here's 15 boxes of stuff. You're going to establish a museum of ordnance at Rock Island Arsenal. So that was the official start of the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, subsequently – uh, the museum received the displays that the Army had at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair um, where everyone mm-hmm. was showing off the latest and greatest in technology. And when the fair shut down, we got all of the Army's displays that were there at the World's Fair. So that formed another part of our core collections. Um, mm-hmm. And then the last part of the story that really formed you know, the first part of the museum and, and our, our core collection um, is in 1904. Um, a mission came to Rock Island Arsenal for the production of uh, the 1903 Springfield rifle, which was the standard infantry rifle from about 1904 uh, up through World War World War One. It saw use into World War II and even into Vietnam. Um, but Rock Island Arsenal received that mission. And so to clear space out, to mm-hmm. put in all the machinery to build this rifle, um, they had to take all of this stuff and get rid of it. But they wanted to keep two examples of everything. So every um, everything that was in stores in the buildings that ended up housing this, um, you know, this manufacturing process for this rifle, um, two of everything came into the collection at Rock Island um, Arsenal Museum. And so those are sort of the big parts of the the collection and how they sort of came to be. And then, um, you know, the mission of the museum has grown over time to really expand to everything that happens on Arsenal Island um, mm-hmm. Which is both an expansion but also a focusing. We stopped telling the larger Army ordnance story and started telling more of the local story.
1: Gotcha. And if I remember right, the museum hasn't always been inside the same four walls. During war times, it's had to move and go into storage. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so uh, change has been constant with the museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it opened in 1905, we actually used to be across the street from our current location in what we call Building 102. Um, at that time, it was Shop A. Um, we opened Creative there. Names. I know, right? The, <laughs> the army's good at at, uh, at building naming. It's it's all a number um, or a letter. So, <laughs> uh, so we used to be and in, in, we'll call it Building 102. So we opened in Building 102 in 1905. Um, mm-hmm. World War I came around. Um, they needed the space for storage for manufacturing, and so they packed up the museum, put it in an attic somewhere and put it away until the end of the war. Um, The public, and and you'll notice this is a recurring thing, um, there was uh, sentiment in the Quad Cities community that they wanted the museum back. And so they, Mm -hmm. they reopened again in that location in Building 102. We would then shut down again during World War II, pack up the museum, put it all into storage. And then when they reopened after World War II, that's when we reopened in our current location, which is Building 60, which again just straight across the street. Uh, We didn't move very far. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the 50s, um, we stopped carrying the name Rock Island Arsenal Museum, and we were called the John M. Browning Memorial Museum, Uh, John M. Browning being a very significant name when it comes to firearms um, technology, um, a lot lot of guns, anything with the Browning name, you can trace back to him in some way, shape or form. Um, And then we've been in that location ever since we renamed to Rock Island Arsenal Museum in the in the 80s and again have carried that name up until today, which certainly fits our mission.
1: Gotcha. All right. So the Rock Island Arsenal Museum is nationally recognized for its large and impressive small arms collection that you've already touched on a bit. Um, So gathering all those small arms together, did it just happen in that one instance or has it been ongoing for years?
0: It's been an ongoing process. Uh, So again, you know, the first core of the collection came from those 15 boxes of materials that the chief of ordnance Mm -hmm. sent to Rock Island Arsenal to form the museum. Um, Rock Island Arsenal has also been home to many weapons development commands or weapons development activities. And so anytime um, a new project came to the Arsenal um, a lot of the experimental weapons, a lot of the things that they were developing or other weapons that they were looking at as, as examples or as, you know, maybe we can take this from this gun and take this from this gun and, and incorporate into what we're working on. Um, as those projects shut down, those, those arms, whatever they were, would come into the museum's collection. Um, there also mm-hmm. used to be a precedent that anytime anything came off the line at Rock Island Arsenal, we would get the first one. So, for example, I talked about the 1903 Springfield rifle project. We have the first one ever made, um, what we call serial number one. So it's stamped with, a, with number one, first one to come off the line. Um, that one's unique uh, because it has never been outside basically a 50-yard a radius of where it sits today in the museum. It went immediately from oh, wow. the production line into the museum and has never left. Has it ever been fired? It has never been fired. Nope, never been fired, never been modified. And there were significant modifications to that that weapon over time. And so it's it's very unique to have that. And when we have folks come in, that's certainly a piece that gets asked about often.
1: Gotcha. All right. So you mentioned that the museum also focused on the history of Arsenal Island in general. I know it's another big question, but can you give us a glimpse into that history?
0: Yeah. So – Uh, Sort of starting with the history of Fort Armstrong, the first military presence on the island. Um, Fort Armstrong was the Army's headquarters during the Black Hawk War of 1832. Mm -hmm. Um, Some other unique high points about the history of Arsenal Island during the Civil War. It was home to a Confederate POW camp um, housed during its operation about 12,000 Confederate POWs um, over the course of its operation. Um, We talk about that story. And then the arsenal itself was designated an arsenal by Congress in 1862, but they didn't start building on it until after the Civil War because we were a little busy, uh, as you can <laughs> imagine. So uh, so we talk about the early history of the building of the arsenal, um, the development of the arsenal buildings. Uh, General Rodman, who we consider the father of the Rock Island arsenal, his master plan and how it was carried through after – um, after his death all the way through you know the completion of the core arsenal buildings in um, well around the turn of the century a little bit before 1880s mm-hmm. so we talk about that and then we dive into um, a lot of different products that the arsenal has has turned out over the years mm-hmm. um, you know we have stuff from we were reworking equipment um, all the way back to when the army was on the frontier uh, reworking firearms making saddles uh, in the early 20th century we were the largest harness producer leather producer saddles those sorts of things in the world mm-hmm. wow. um yeah it, it's an incredible it really is there's a great uh, a great story to be told um with the products that the the arsenal has produced over time but we bring it all the way up through, um, you know, commands that are on the arsenal today and what they do and how they support the soldier and the warfighter um, mm-hmm. and try to carry, you know, threads throughout about how the arsenal um, is really the, you know, we're in the Midwest, we're in the middle of the country, but how we have a global mm-hmm. impact. Um, you know, the, the Army operates 47 museums. There's not a single one of those that doesn't have a Rock Island arsenal product in it. And I think there's something to be said for that.
1: Very cool. So is the Arsenal Bridge a part of that history or is that more separate from the island?
0: No, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we call it the government bridge today. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously that that history is linked to the island. And we do tell the story of the, of the bridges that have crossed between Arsenal Island and, and Davenport all the way back to the first railroad bridge across the Mississippi uh, mm-hmm. back in 1856. So we tell every, every bridge story from 1856 all the way up to the bridge that you crossed today uh, that was built in 1896.
1: Gotcha. All right. So, do you have a favorite portion of the museum or a favorite bit of history told within it?
0: That's a good question. It's a question I get I get asked a lot. So, <laughs> so for me, um, you know, I'm a material culture person. That's why I work in museums because I like I like the stuff. I like the stories they tell. Mm-hmm. And what I always find fascinating are artifacts that continue to tell stories. We think we know everything about them, but that turns mm-hmm. out not to be the case. Um, one subset of uh, firearms we have in our collection are from the Little Bighorn battlefield. So, what we think of as Custer's Last Stand in 1876, when he was he was wiped out in Montana, um, we have a number of firearms that were recovered by the army after the battle. Um, we knew that they were recovered there, but we didn't know much else about them. Um, and that's you know that's quite a bit, anyways. We we knew they were they were from the battle. Um, in 1983, there was a wildfire that swept across the Little Bighorn Battlefield and burnt off a lot of a lot of underbrush, and so it exposed a lot of areas that previously had been uh, inaccessible. And so, an archaeology mm-hmm. team went out and started doing digs. A lot of what they found were shell casings. So, a shell casing is basically the the brass piece that ejects after you fire the round. If it's familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, What's interesting about a firearm is just like you or me, we have unique fingerprints. Well, a gun has a unique fingerprint too and that's um, located in its firing pin. So they hmm. gathered up all these shell casings and they went to known collections of little Bighorn weapons and they got the firing pin markings on them. So basically they dry fired them and got the mark and then they started comparing them to what they dug up. And so what they were able to do is map out where these weapons were fired on the battlefield.
1: Wow! So Which where the soldier that where was the soldier
0: or or Native American were standing and firing that weapon, and what's that? Wow. What that's added to the what we call historiography, um, or sort of the the changing or the the narrative of the battle, mm-hmm. is that we saw that there were weapons used at both the Reno Benteen battle site and the Custer site, and there had been debate over years whether. Some of the same forces that were at the last stand site also fought at the Reno Benteen site, and what this told us is yes, that is absolutely true. Wow. Um, the other piece of that story, briefly, um, is after the battle, the army was did an after action report. Army loves after action reports. What did we do right? What did we do wrong? Um, and mm-hmm. so they were reviewing why did Custer lose? Um, you know what? Why did he get wiped out? And Up until that point, the Army didn't have a marksmanship program. So soldiers weren't trained to shoot at a specific target. They were, you know, we were always fighting our last war. So they were (laughs) trained to shoot in mass, you know, and and not actually aim at an individual or, or you know, center of mass on a person. And the the technology, the weapon technology, made it possible that you could do that. They just weren't trained to do it. So the Army's solution to that was to put in a marksmanship program. Now, what does that mean for us? How does that tie to the Rock Island story? Well, the first target printing mission, so the target that these soldiers were going to to shoot at, that target mission came to Rock Island Arsenal in 1881, and it's been there ever since. So anyone in uniform, Mm -hmm. Navy, Air Force, Marines, Army, any target you've ever shot at is printed at Rock Island Arsenal. And so that's a mission that ties all the way back to 1881 when the mission came there and then back to the Battle of the Little Bighorn. And then we have those weapons uh, from that battle. So it's really cool to make those connections throughout history that ties what we do today all the way back to objects in the history and, and, you know, really looking back at it that way.
1: Gotcha. So interesting. All right. So in a normal year, what all goes on at the museum? I know in a pandemic year, things are looking a little different. But normally, what would be going on?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a weird year. So, uh, you know, typically uh, we would have our doors open Tuesday through Saturday from noon to four. Mm-hmm. Um, typically uh, during the – especially the spring semester, we have lots of school groups that come through. We work with a lot of the local school districts in the Quad Cities area getting school groups in, tying to their curriculum, uh, especially the Civil War pieces certainly uh, mm-hmm. tied to that. Um, we run regular programming, uh, so we, we do brown bag lunch um, programs during the week. Uh, we also – it wasn't something we were doing pre-COVID, uh, but certainly in the new operating environment, we've started offering virtual programs, uh, mm-hmm. which is something we'll continue doing. And then, you know, we had a, a very devoted uh, volunteer staff who would serve as docents telling, telling their stories of the artifacts. And so uh, mm-hmm. it was a very active place. <laughs> COVID Definitely. has certainly changed that because we haven't been open. Um, but uh, really, you know, a, a, the, the programming aspect of it, getting folks in, talking about some of these subjects more in depth uh, was a big part of our operations. Mm-hmm. So.
1: And you're also a huge part of Visit Quad Cities tourism mission. So many of our group tours that come to the Quad Cities have to stop out at your museum and get a bit of that history too.
0: Yeah, and I love working with you guys because mm-hmm. uh, we've had you know through through our work with Visit Quad Cities, um, getting veterans groups in to to the Arsenal, um, getting just normal bus tours in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's certainly something in the Quad Cities you don't want to miss because mm-hmm. you know we're we're as big of a part of the story of the Quad Cities as your big names like John Deere or, or something like that. Um, you know, we've been here for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, uh, we're, you know, we sit between all of the cities uh, right there on an island in the Mississippi. Um, and I think the Army story here obviously stretch back, stretches back a long way, um, but it also certainly is an important part of the history today.
1: Definitely. And a question that we get a lot from Quad Citizens and visitors is how do you actually go to the museum? Because it's not just like walking up to the Figgy or the Putnam or any of our other museums. There's a different process being that it's a military island.
0: Absolutely. So it is a military. It is an active military installation. It's always Mm -hmm. something good to keep in mind. Um, Typically, and again, we're operating in a COVID environment, so it's a little different right now because the museum's closed. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, normally, and once we go back to regular operations, it'll be like this. Um, you will come to the Moline Gate, uh, which is located on the east end of the island. Um, off to the right of the gate is our visitor control center. You'll need to go there. Um, you fill out a brief form. You provide them your, uh, your driver's license, and, and they will issue you a one-year pass. And so that one-year pass is, is nice. It's printed on plastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can put it in your wallet. It will hold up. I promise. Um, and then you have access to the island for the museum. Uh, but there's, there's other things too. There's the, the Colonel Davenport House, which is a historic house open um, seasonally. And then there's also the Mississippi River Visitor Center. So once you have that visitor's pass, um, you, you have access to all of those things. Uh, you go drive to the gate, show them your pass. Um, they'll scan it and, and the guard will send you on your way. Um, all in all, uh, assuming there's not a long line to get in, uh, it should take no one more than ten minutes uh, to get your visitors pass. And again, mm-hmm. you know it's nice. You do it once, you're good for a year. So it's it's certainly an easy process. Uh, I have to talk people through it all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, when I first started here, I had my wife go through it, um, and she she was like, "Well, that wasn't that bad." I said, "No, it's it's a very easy, straightforward process." So I would mm-hmm. put. You know, I would encourage anyone if you're interested in visiting the island again after um, after the COVID um, shutdown on the on the Arsenal uh, passes. Uh, get your one year pass, come onto the island, visit the museum. Uh, we also have outdoor displays at our Memorial Field, which you'll see um, as you drive to the to the museum as well.
1: Perfect. All right. So your team is also working on some exciting renovations at the museum what can you share about those?
0: Sure. Um, so we are right now, um, actually, as of uh, Friday, March 26th, we will be officially closed for any sort of operations. Um, and mm-hmm. we will be turning inward and focusing on what is a $1.5 million renovation of the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been uh, probably well on 50 years since the museum has received any sort of significant updates. Um it is being designed by the Center of Military History, which is my upper command, um, and uh, it really is a floor-to-ceiling renovation. Uh, anyone who's seen the museum as it is today uh, will not recognize what it looks like, and I and that is only meant in the best way. Um, we'll be uh, refocusing the interpretation again to meet that mission of the museum, which is telling the history of Rock Island Arsenal, um, Arsenal Island, and its commands. Uh, we will be talking a little bit about what we call the Army's Organic Industrial Base. So t- to think of that in layman's terms, basically Army manufacturing. We'll be talking about Army manufacturing, but through the lens of Rock Island Arsenal, uh, mm-hmm. because we have a lot of those stories that, that branch beyond the Arsenal as well. Um, the new exhibits will incorporate uh, interactive media. Uh, we'll be incorporating physical interactives that build on um, STEM, so especially related to bridges and bridge building, uh, mm-hmm. so tying in that history to um, you know, to those sorts of activities for, for kids or really, frankly, people of all ages. Um, we're going to bring in some of our big artifacts that, that are either in storage or sitting outside right now uh, that are truly Rock Island Arsenal products, a lot of our big cannons and howitzers. Uh, we have a lot of experimental um, equipment and weapons that the Arsenal has developed over time and have turned into products that soldiers use today in the field. Um, and that's another thing that we're really trying to do with the the reinterpretation is um, also shift our focus more towards soldier training. So talking about um, you know things things that relate to uh, to soldiers today, and really tying it back to the history aspect. Um, that's certainly something that my entire command and the the whole Army Museum Enterprise Army Museum system is really trying to do. Is not just focus on um, you know. The, the storytelling part of it, but how does that tie back to soldier training and also, you know, uh, communicating what the Army does to the general public.
1: Gotcha. All right. Well, sounds like there is a lot to look forward to at the Rock Island Arsenal Museum.
0: Absolutely. It's it's a very exciting time. Um, you know, we're close to the public, but there's going to be so much action behind the scenes. Uh, and we're going to be sharing a lot of that through Facebook, um, through mm-hmm. the museum's website, so folks can, can see, you know, what's going on, even though they, they can't come in.
1: Perfect. All right. So we're going to wrap things up the way we always do on the QC Current. I'm going to ask you about some of your favorite things to do, to see, to eat in the Quad Cities. Are you ready for it? I think so. All right. Rapid Fire Style, what is your favorite spot for dinner?
0: Favorite spot for dinner? Well, I have two kids um, that uh, are obsessed with pizza. Um, so I generally end up, as as boring as this may be, at Pizza Hut in Orion. <laughs>
1: Awesome. All right. Favorite local cup of coffee?
0: Um, oh, what is it? Um, Mill, down on River Miltown? Drive. Yep, Milltown. Yep, yep. Just off the one. Arsenal, so easy to get to.
1: Favorite place to grab a dessert or sweet treat?
0: Oh, Whitey's, for sure. Definitely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite Quad Cities
0: brewery? Um, I love Front Street. Uh, their Cherry Bon Blonde is to die for. It's a good one.
1: Favorite way to spend a free Saturday afternoon in the Quad Cities? Uh,
0: so for me, uh, it's less of a choice and more my my kids saying, we have to go, we have to go. I live less than a mile away from the zoo. And so if we have a free Saturday, we're going to be at the zoo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love that. All right. Final question of the day. What's one thing every visitor to the Quad Cities must do?
0: They must visit the Rock Island Arsenal Museum.
1: Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Patrick.
0: Hey, it was a pleasure.
1: Awesome. All right. So if you'd like to listen to this episode or any past episodes, just search QC Current wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Hannah Ginder, and this has been the QC Current. You've been listening to the QC Current, presented by Visit Quad Cities, the official
0: destination management and marketing organization for the Quad Cities region. Learn more about us, our region, neighborhoods, and community partners at visitquadcities.com and connect with us through your favorite social media sites. Tune in next weekend for another episode of The QC Current on WOC News Talk 1420.